my name is Chris White and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast where we're going back in the time machine to June of 1999 to bring you your WWF coverage for the month. Joining me we have firstly our leader himself Rory McNamara. Rory how are you doing? I'm all right evening all. And also we have Dan Welling. Dan good to have you on. It's great to be here guys as always. I detect a hint of sarcasm in your voice but uh, <laughs> Yes. Uh, Dan, uh, would you kindly take Rory through our news headlines? First off, the higher power is. So you remember, everybody, when you were talking about in the playground that time at the end of Who Shot Mr. Burns Part 1, and you couldn't wait for those four or five months to pass until Who Shot Mr. Burns Part 2 came along, and it turned out to be Maggie Simpson. Well, the higher power was none other than Vince McMahon. In the new section on these programs, dear, dear listener, I do my best to be impartial, but as you could probably tell from my tone there, my true feelings did indeed come through. Vince McMahon announced as the higher power, as we say in these parts, the internet exploded. We will break it down for you in a few minutes' time, and maybe, a bit of a spoiler, maybe a difference of opinion of all things, but Vince McMahon really was revealed as the higher power. Stone Cold CL Old. Steve Austin? <laughs> I should say I was, concentrating, I was concentrating so much on the pronunciation of that middle word that I've completely forgot about Steve Austin. I should say, everybody, when I sent the guys the headlines earlier today, I actually wrote down the words Stone, C-E-O-L-D, Steve Austin. I was really hoping that Dan would give a straight pronunciation of it, but like most normal human beings, he sort of just wimped out of it but then everybody who isn't me would do the same but there we go yes stone city old steve austin get it barely minutes after we were still reeling from the higher power reveal the wwf quickly switched gears i think wisely by taking us through perhaps rather quickly a storyline in which linda mcmahon and stephanie mcmahon relinquished the 50 percent they held of ownership in the business and handed over the ceo rights and roles to one Steve Austin, complete with red tie. A series of skits then aired on the 14th of June, which we will talk about again a bit later on. But when we got to the King of the Ring pay-per-view, his CEO position was on the line in a ladder match against Vince and Shane McMahon, because this is pro wrestling after all, which he lost in rather controversial fashion. But it doesn't really matter because he became the WWF champion again when he defeated The Undertaker on Raw the next night. So all's well that ends well. The final bullet in the gun. And also at that King of the Ring pay-per-view, Billy Gunn was crowned King of the Ring. A bit of a surprise for you. Billy Gunn push has supposedly been in the works for quite a long time, and he was awarded what is seen by many as the first, or maybe the second stepping stone to move up the card. WWF is certainly short of heels at the moment. Uh, the plan is for Billy Gunn to face the aforementioned Steve Austin in a big world title match soon. Uh, we will let you know how he became King of the Ring and what we think of that award a bit later on. Sable is the blackest of black. 
It is indeed. Yes, Rina Mero, also known as Sable, of course, at the start of this month, filed a lawsuit against the WWF for $110 million. Uh, the lawsuit, which has garnered some mainstream publicity, she's been doing the interview rounds this particular month, paints a rather bleak picture of what could be going on in the Federation. I'll quote directly from the lawsuit for you now. The WWF controls its performers through a carefully designed program of intimidation and humiliation, including scripted sexual provocation in and out of the ring and staged stunts that are inherently dangerous under contracts that absolve the WWF of all responsibility. Uh, there's a lot more to this one, which we will talk about very, very shortly. Vince McMahon defends the WWF product for a change. <laughs> yes, indeed. Of course he does. Uh, Vince McMahon has been uh, putting up the shutters or if, in as much as he possibly can. I will read verbatim a couple of quotes from Vince McMahon when he's been doing the interview rounds this month. Multi-channel news cover story. He said this about the evolution of the WWF. We've reinvented ourselves like any entertainment company does. Note the term there. We were a contemporary hybrid with elements of cartoons, rock concerts, soap operas, and talk shows. It's almost like a variety show or a two-hour movie on USA. Uh, he really believes this stuff. And he said this to the New York Post, which uh, rather tickled me. If one was to actually watch the show and then compare it to everything else out there on broadcast television, we compare very favorably. <laughs> this is the example he gave. Even Beverly Hills 90210. In terms of sexual content, we're Snow White compared to them. I will leave it to you, dear listener, to work out which film of Snow White he is actually talking about. And finally, Sunny Night in Georgia. Yes, I've seen them all. I've seen them all. Yes, Sunny Night in Georgia. Uh, WCW are hosting the July 5th Nitro from the Georgia Dome. You might remember what happened there almost exactly a year ago. And indeed, what happened there five months ago. But the WWF, who aren't even going to be there until October, are already outselling them in that particular arena. In just four days of ticket sales, the WWF sold over just just over 21,000 tickets, including 19,395 on the first day alone. Staggering numbers. It is possible, just possible at the moment, that they could even break the 40,000 that were in attendance for Bill Goldberg's title win 11 months ago. And if those are not bragging rights, not that the WWF needs them, I don't know what is. And on that topic, here are the Raw and Nitro ratings for the last five weeks. On the 31st of March, a 6.3 versus a 3.3. And a 6.7 for the higher power reveal. I still never mind. 3.2 for Nitro. And a 6.7 again for Raw, quite surprisingly, on the 14th against Nitro's 3.3. A solid 6 on the 21st against the 3.1. And we do have the ratings for the last Raw of the month. A 6.8 against a 3.6. Gentlemen, before we go into the TVs and the pay-per-views and what have you, I do think we need to talk about this Sable lawsuit. Obviously, sub-judice and all of that, so we need to be a little careful what we say. But reading through what is alleged in here, it's um, I can't say a lot of it is all that surprising. Uh, Chris, I'll come to you first on this one, actually. It's rather, rather grim reading where she's talking about she's constantly being degraded on television by the commentary team. She even talks about in the lawsuits... Um, a situation where certain male performers are actually cutting holes in the wall so they can peer into the into the ladies' dressing room. So we don't know how true any of this is, but uh, I hate to say this, I can kind of believe it. Yeah, I mean, for me, one of the, the worst aspects of this is that when you hear the stuff that is being reported, it doesn't shock you and it doesn't surprise you. It's entirely believable 
And uh, I mean, that's no comment from me, whether it is entirely true or not. Like, I, I have no idea. But it does speak volumes that you hear these allegations and they're not surprising and they are the type of thing that actually, if you were to put some thought into it, you would imagine would go on. And a lot of that is to do with sort of the product that the WWF puts out there, quite frankly, and uh, the way women have been treated on there. And like like you just alluded to the, with the commentary team and things like that, um, if you have King uh, making remarks nonstop with pretty much any female in the company, probably with the exception of what China and Linda, <laughs> like, I mean, it does seem like it would be an environment where that sort of behavior not only would be tolerated, but almost encouraged. Um, I mean, there's more to come on this story and I'm sure like we'll hear more potentially even from both sides, but on the face of it, it just was really striking to me how I didn't find this remotely surprising. And Dan, just to build on this, we hear that back in August 1998, when she signed her new contract, she was effectively forced to sign it without having a chance to properly read it. I seem to remember 14 years ago, Wendy Richter had to do a very similar thing, and that didn't end too well for her. I just want to add something else as well from the lawsuit, which, again, the WWF would do well to defend themselves here. And I'll quote directly from the lawsuit. But WWF encumbers athletes with unconscionable one-sided contracts which control their star status by the threat of raising and lowering their profile at will. Underpaying gifted athletes far below their work for a sport, their words, that has become increasingly dangerous without controls. And the, the kicker for me, rebellion against or criticism of the coercive diktat of the WWF and Vince McMahon is not tolerated. In fact, it results in McMahon and the WWF merely increasing their efforts in the campaign of harassment. Dan, that's grim. It is grim. And as Chris has said, even if this is just the, the thoughts of a disgruntled employee, the fact that we all are going, yeah, that sounds about right, is more damning than if it's proven to be true. The fact that this culture has existed in this company for almost, you know, since its inception and is indicative of the wrestling industry as a whole, you know, you just have to look at on the other side of the coin, ECW is probably even worse for this treatment, treatment of its employees. It's if Sable and her publicists want to really ring this and, you know, continue the PR train that she's on at the minute, this could really be damaging, not just for this company, but also the entire wrestling industry. If some of the stuff that is comes out of this is being backed up by fellow ex, ex employees by, I don't know, non wrestling staff, you know, you know, caterers or arena employees or anything like that. And it really could do some damage to this industry because, you know, a lot of it is probably true to choose to ignore it, but it is damning, you know, no, no other kind of, industry like this has this kind of behavior and locker room attitude and, it, and it's not good although i do i want to make it clear yes some of the stuff that come out here is bad but at the same time some of this is also probably being exaggerated by by sable herself by look for what you hear about her backstage and this might be again part of the harassment campaign i understand that but some of the rumors that you come out of it by 
impartial observers like Keller and Meltzer basically saying her attitude stunk. But after, you know, sort of 98 period, some of the decisions that she mentions in this in this lawsuit are ridiculous. And yeah, so they soon have $110 million is maybe this is my British, you know, not really understanding the, the methods of this, but that does sound ex- extreme. So I don't know whether this is one of those instances where they might have ammo to come back at her claims. We can only wait and see. But I think if this was if this was someone like Mick Foley, for example, coming out and saying this, then I think I would be a lot more concerned. But because it's Sable, who has a little bit of a reputation, I'm not. I don't want to. I don't want to take it lightly because obviously these accusations are incredibly harsh and and potentially true, and probably is true. But the person doing the accusing is not of the most wonderful mindset. That makes sense. No, I think that's absolutely fair. I mean, we've talked on these programs, certainly over the last few months, about Sable's backstage reputation. And I think a lot of that is warranted from from what I hear and what I've been able to read. Not Miss Popular behind the scenes, to say the very least. But that should not detract from what is being said here. And this is all we have to go on at this point and say, none of us are there. Is some of it being exaggerated for effect? It very probably is. But as we, I think we've all come to the agreement on, we're not clutching our pearls at this. You know, none of us are recoiling in horror. It's when we see stories like, you know, the men just brazenly walking into the women's dressing room, we're saying, yeah, I can see that happening. It's, <laughs> I'm not stunned by any of this. Her stories are not particularly far fetched, let's say that. And I do think to defend Sable here and to a certain degree. This isn't the 80s anymore. We are, we can be a bit more open about this. I do think that the old what goes on the road stays on the road mentality is now finally starting to die out and quite rightly so. All the stuff of talk about ring rats and all of that and the horrible sense of entitlement of wrestlers dragged around with them in the 70s and 80s. A lot less of that now from what I can discern. So that is good. But Maybe now with the world being as it is, some people try to operate on that in a slightly different and very, very, very underhanded and worrying way. I say we will keep you informed, listeners, of how this one goes as it develops. Now, as Dan says, 110 million does seem rather extreme, but any more news on this, we will bring it to you over the coming months, of course. We kick things off on the first Raw of the month with the reveal of the higher power, which we will discuss in much greater detail on the main show. Shortly after, we have another reveal, the new CEO of the WWF, which again, we will talk about at length shortly. The first match of the month saw the Acolytes defeat the Brood after Bradshaw pinned Gangrel following a lariat. Big Show, Test and Shamrock talk to Cole about who they will be facing tonight. Show wants The Undertaker with the world title on the line, Shamrock wants Vince, as there was a time where Vince cried for help and Ken stood by him, only to be humiliated. And Ken wants Vince in the lion's den. Tess then calls out Stephanie McMahon and asks her out, much to the dismay of Vince and Shane. X-Pac and Kane versus Shane ends in a no contest when the posse run in for the save for Shane. Michael Cole is with Deborah. She has 30 days to defend her title and does not want to face Bass. Therefore, she challenges her to a bikini contest. If Nicole wins, then she can have a title shot next week. Next up, we have a cast match between Triple H and The Rock. 
Rocky absolutely annihilates Hunter, hitting the rock bottom and placing a chair over his setting up for the people's elbow, but the Undertaker runs in and hits a chokeslam. He tombstones Rock onto the chair until Big Show makes the save for the Rock. We move on to the bikini contest between Deborah and Nicole. Deborah gets wild cheers while Bass gets booed, so Deborah wins. Bass is not happy and Val squares up to Double J. Nicole gets hold of the guitar, but Deborah pulls Jarrett to safety. The Godfather defeats Mr. Ass with a leg drop after interference from Road Dog. Al Snow defeats Dross to retain the WWF Hardcore title in a match that never actually takes place in the ring, brawling through the crowd up the arena and into a bar. Your typical hardcore match there. Vince defeated Ken in a Lion's Den match. Vince got into the cage first and locked the door. Shamrock tried to get in, but as he does, Jarrett comes up and blasts him with a chair, giving Vince the win. In our main event, the Big Show vs The Undertaker ends in a no contest. The biggest spot of the match came when Big Show planted Taker with a chokeslam, driving him right through the ring, causing the match to be thrown out. Big Show destroyed the corporate ministry as they ran in after the match to end the show. So, uh, thank you very much, Rory. Is it excellent as ever, leading us through all the news uh, to kick things off. Um, switching gears over to the TV that the WWF has provided us this month, and we have the small matter, as was mentioned in the news, of the higher power being revealed on the 7th of June episode of Raw. So shortly into the show, very early on, we'd been told that the higher power would be revealed tonight. The Undertaker leads the corporate ministry down to the ring, and he talks about assembling an army for the arrival of a power much greater than himself. And that's why the ministry and the corporation merged, and they, they and this demonstrates what kind of power is at hand. So the lights cut out, and we have a man come down to the ring wearing a cloak. Jar and King think it's Shane, but suddenly Shane comes out. He tells us, he told us that it wasn't him. Shane talks about what a mastermind the greater power is and how smart the higher power is. Before we reveal the identity, though, Shane does want Vince to be the one to unveil it. And Vince is shown on the screen and says that this is quite close enough for him. The greater power, the higher power, then pulls back his hood and we hear this. Shane, I say I'm close enough right where I stand, right here and now. I say the games are over, Shane. I say the evil, demonic SOB show his face to the world now. My gosh, JR, who is it? Here we go. Who could it be? It's me, Austin! Oh, son of a bitch! What? It's me, Austin! It was me all along, Austin! Damn, I cannot believe he's... You all bought it! You all bought it! Hook, line, and sinker! You all bought it! They did! Even my family! Even my immediate family bought it! Every damn one of you were made fools of. You're a fool, JR. But you know, I really didn't want to have to do it. Austin made me. Stone Cold Steve Austin made me fool you. He made me because, Austin, 
I had to teach you a lesson that you would never, ever forget. Vince McMahon is the higher power. It was him all along, and every one of us bought it. Even his family bought the story, and he blames Austin for causing all of this. The entire plan was in there just to teach Austin a lesson that Vince will do anything he has to in order to torment Stone Cold Steve Austin. Right, uh, this should be interesting. Cutting away from Raw, uh, Rory, I think I'll come to you first. Must you? Uh, must you? I must, I must. <laughs> what I've did you make of long enough, no, you Vince must. McMahon? Higher power. Ah, oh, sweet, merciful, etc. Right, okay. Oh, God, it was four weeks ago. I still haven't truly gathered my thoughts on this one, but on I must, on I must plod, on I must plod with this. Okay. Yeah, we did have me hook, line, and sinker, but certainly because I didn't think they would be this stupid. Alarm bells were starting to ring for me when Vince opened up in the ring, and it was very specific about the match that he and Shane were supposedly going to have against each other. I thought, okay, that's, you know, you're Vince McMahon. You don't pay much attention to what takes place in the ring. Why are you saying all these stipulations? And you seem very keyed up on them. Mm. And now you're going to run through a list of names of who the higher power could be. So now you are actually trolling your audience there, aren't you? Yes, because you know as well as anybody that the internet has been lit up over the last two weeks of who the higher power could be. He knows as well as anybody, or he's been told, that people have said that it could well be Shawn Michaels. It could well be Jake Roberts. Now, why else would Jake Roberts be mentioned on WWF programming in June 99 if it was not for that? I thought, okay, it isn't any of those people. Then he brings up a McMahon family member, and I'm like, <laughs> then our fears are allayed when Shane comes out and Vince disappears. And even Vince being on the Titan Tron, I think I was probably trying to tell myself it won't actually be him. And then we go through the spiel that we heard earlier, and then the air just goes out of the room. And I will tell you this, everybody, my TV very nearly followed it. I mean, Vince McMahon... Okay, give me two positives about this one before Dan gives you his 222 incorrect positives about this one. Okay. Number Will you one, stop? Number... <laughs> you know, wait for that one. Number one, Vince McMahon's face and the line of, it's me, Austin, as he can only do. Okay, credit for that. And JR, bless him, trying to save it with our son of a bitch. Now I'm going to pile on this utter shit. Okay, right. There you go. That's all you're getting out of me on this one positively. Right. <laughs> it's more than I expected. <laughs> Ever the positive one on these shows. Am I supp- Okay. So the higher power was first mentioned, what, back in February, I want to say, on the Valentine's Day Massacre pay-per-view round about that particular time. And we have seen what this power is supposedly capable of doing. Okay. And the higher power will stop at nothing to do so, including abduction of stephanie mcmahon making the mcmahon family home remember that because that hasn't been mentioned in, in, in dispatches not even a safe place for anyone to actually visit okay stephanie mcmahon has been you know condemned to basements okay again one more time the abduction of stephanie mcmahon vince mcmahon at this particular point in the storylines already had executive power in february and march of 1999 is that correct that is correct he has spent most of the previous 12 months doing everything he can to try to screw Stone Cold Steve Austin. Of course he has. It's always been great. Sometimes some of Vince's responses have been a little on the cartoonish side, but I love them. Feud of the year, last year, all the rest of it, quite rightly so. 
But everything that the higher power is supposed to be pertaining to and capable of is outright evil. The Undertaker character over the last three or four months has been representing outright evil. Capturings, kidnap, black weddings. Are we really supposed to believe that Vince McMahon was able to orchestrate and stage all of those things in the space of three months just for the sake of getting on Stone Cold Steve Austin yet again? Are we really supposed to think that? In a way, in a way, it's the logic issues there. Now, I do not believe that Vince McMahon, the person in kayfabe, if you understand what I'm saying, the Vince McMahon who's been inching babyface over the last month or so, I do not believe that even he would stoop so low as to orchestrate the capturing the kidnap of his own daughter because one of his employees was still pissing him off after a year. It's too much of a stretch. I've almost got more of a problem with that than I have the fact that it wasn't somebody else, that it wasn't Shawn Michaels or Jake Roberts or anybody like that. None of the stories add up whatsoever. I don't know if when they first came up with this a few months ago, whether Vince was the original plan or whether this was kind of a uh, Black Scorpion kind of thing where they started the storyline, had no idea how to finish it. And in the end, the Black Scorpion was just Ric Flair, which made less than no sense. Grabbing the mask! Trying to pull it off! And it, here it comes! Here comes the mask! Who is it? It's got blonde hair! But it's not long hair. Who is it? We got 30 seconds. It's Ric Flair. The Black Scorpion is Ric Flair. But if you're going to do something like this, especially now, you need to know if you're going to have a whodunit in pro wrestling with the internet being as it is. And yeah, the internet's got its problems. But you know as well as I do, people are going to speculate. That's what we do as fans. And to let them down by even mentioning some of the people they have brought up trolling them as directly as you were, I think was not on and made what was already a bad situation even worse. I think in fairness to them, which we'll talk about in a few minutes, the WWF realized they dropped one on this one and did their best to turn things around very, very quickly. But this was just a huge letdown after what was a promising four months worth of storylines. Now, Dan, tell me I'm wrong. You're wrong. Well, actually, you're mostly right, in fairness. I mean, the only reason I love this angle so much is because of the things you mentioned. It's me, Austin, <laughs> it's me, Austin and that 10 seconds of absolute, pure, amazing wrestling of Vince's face and his and the way he says his lines. It is fucking amazing. The rest of the storyline is fucking shite. I'd like to point out again. <laughs> Phew. <laughs> yeah, but I'm sorry, but I, I, honestly, that ten, those 10 seconds are just so ridiculously good that I'm can almost completely forget about the entire logic loopholes of the higher power storyline because in the because Vincent Mann's such a great performer not good great performer he managed to make me and the majority of the fan base watching it for a good two minutes go yeah Vincent Mann probably is the higher power this makes perfect sense and then as soon as you do a roar and actually apply some logic and common sense to the matter it all falls to the part but, you know, for people like me who who enjoy the soap opera start of it, who, you know, want to get behind the silliness of a couple of times, for me, I, I, I don't want to get into the the logic loopholes of this too much to kind of... I, I'm willing to let this slide because Vince McMahon is just so good in this role. 
And he is the best like performer for this role. Not character, performer. Shawn Michaels and Jake Roberts in particular are in no position because of issues to be in a case of, of doing something that carries as much weight. I personally would have given it to Shane McMahon and have this have this be a slow burn turn if I'm if I'm fantasy booking this and have you know basically the last that SmackDown episode where the corporate ministry forms be the reveal that Shane McMahon's a higher power. That would have been my you know take on it. But if we're gonna have to do a, a higher power reveal now with the corporate ministry in tow, Vince is the only person I would trust to be in this role. And the way he did this reading of the promo when he reveals it, I think proved my point. Now, and I do have a very slight timeline of events. I think makes sense in a character motivation standpoint of the higher power and Vince Undertaker, which I will quickly go through right now. So a higher power in my head, head headcanon, is not Vince McMahon's first start to mention it. It's more of the Undertaker's I don't know, inner thoughts and, you know, reasonings behind why he is this maniacal. And it only becomes Vince once Austin wins the title back at WrestleMania because that's what switches, I don't know, the switch in McMahon's mind going, okay, this man needs to be punished more than anybody has ever been punished in the WWF ever before. And that's what turns him into this evil, maniacal machinator who is the puppet master for everybody in this company. And I, I, I disagree with the point that you made, Roy, about how are we meant to believe that Vince is, is you know, that evil. I, I Some of the promos that he was cutting in 1998 definitely think that he had this evil side to him all along. And it's just been, you know, the, the CEO side of him that's been holding it in. But since Austin wins the title back, it's come full circle and he's just kind of fully embraced the darkness. Um, maybe, again, this is probably me going way too much into my own headcount to make sense of it and you know wanting to love it because of that one line but for me i don't think it's as bad as anyone along across the internet thinks it is apart from me (laughs) (laughs) it makes it even worse than that well uh i suppose i'm somewhat in the middle <laughs> of the vast spectrum of ever, ever the diplomat, Mister. Yeah, Chris White is just yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I definitely agree that the storyline is shite, but also, I think I'd have felt flat if it was Shawn Michaels or if it was Jake Roberts, or like if it's these characters that we've seen before. Like Shawn Michaels doesn't fit this role, like. He's a big name, and I'm sure fans would have been excited. But this isn't the Shawn Michaels character. That's more of a mismatch than Vince. I think the only way this would have really worked would have been if it was someone new, like a character we'd not seen before, and this was how they were introduced, and like someone you had big plans for. That would have been great, but... I think it's difficult to take an established character and then make them this maniacal, like, puppet master. Like, it's really hard to pull off. And I do think you're right, Rory, in the sense that maybe this isn't 
it, it, I mean, it would it would genuinely surprise me if Vince was always going to be the higher power. I would be surprised if they, at the start of this storyline, thought, we know where this is going and it's going to be Vince. I don't know who they would have thought it was or even if they had anyone. But I think with the reveal and then the very quick change of tone away from the reveal of the higher power to the reveal of the new CEO, they knew they had to get this one sort of ticked off reveal it but move on very very quickly and we don't really need to mention it right now because we've got this new storyline that we can focus on and that's how the angle sort of came off to me because for all the months of build it did feel like they were getting it over with as quickly as possible and then what happened next only confirmed that really i definitely think that there's some huge storyline issues with it being Vince. It doesn't really make sense, but I'd, like, I do echo everything Dan said about how wonderful Vince was in being the higher power and the way he said his lines and his facial expressions. It's just peak Vince McMahon. And it's what, like, nine times out of ten we come to expect from Vince McMahon, the performer, because he is incredible and he, he does play his role. His expression was pure pantomime, but in the best possible way. I would know. Oh, that. yeah. When I, when I say Vince is cartoonish, I mean it as a compliment because he is just so over the top. You can't help but love him. I think my real issue here, and we'll come back on this one. I'll let you guys have a quick chat about this one as well before we move on, is that this is something we have already. And it ties into the storylines we get for the next three weeks. Now, we've seen you know, Vince versus Austin again. All of this, just so we get, we, re, we reboot Vince Austin again. I mean, Really, it's not that I'm tired of that particular feud. It's just they're victims of their own success with it, really. It's so good. They know they can just go back to it at any time. And it will be, by and large, pretty damn tremendous. But it's stopping them, really, from doing anything else. And that's the thing that really sticks with me, even with all the logic problems, which I mentioned earlier. And I think it's difficult because this storyline, like I mentioned, is, is would have been an incredible way to debut a new character to me. Like it would have been fantastic. Like you've got this like month, like months and months and months of storyline development and character development and build. And then when the person's revealed, you've got this like pure evil figure that's been behind so much and pulling all of these strings. But instead it's Vince. And I mean, by the end of the month, it doesn't really matter that Vince was the higher power. We're just doing Vince Austin again. What matters is who's got control of the company. And that switch between, oh, Vince was the higher power to Austin CEO and the emphasis being on the fact for control of the company and Austin CEO happens within five minutes. Like (laughs) that shift is immediate. And that, I think, felt so deflating to me because this was a huge storyline opportunity not to move away from Vince Austin, but to establish something different from Vince Austin, and they didn't capitalize on it. Yeah, because the higher power itself, you've got potentially months of storylines there. That bat alone could carry you throughout the rest of the year. But as it is, that was pretty much Ixnade five minutes after this, and we're just back to Steve Austin versus his arsehole boss again. Right. So we'll cut away uh, from our uh, analysis and head back to Raw, because shortly after Vince has been revealed as the higher power, out come Linda and Stephanie McMahon. Stephanie wants to know how this could happen, and Vince says that it's just business. And Linda says, fine, let's talk business then. 
Linda says that when Vince says that he and Shane both own 50% of the company, Vince is in fact lying. Since there are four McMahons, they all own equal shares. And Vince did not build this company by himself. That's why this morning there was a meeting of the board of directors. And first and foremost, there are some changes. While you were out front doing your thing, I and a lot of others were behind the scenes helping to grow and make this company successful. We've all worked equally as hard as you have. And this morning, I called an emergency meeting of the board of directors. What? I don't, I, I wasn't notified. You weren't notified? That's really unfortunate. But let me assure you, there are gonna be some changes around the office. Changes starting with the dress code. Changes? Dress code? Yeah, the dress code. It's going to be a little less formal, more casual at the office. In fact, cut-off jeans might be the dress of the day of the office. Cut-off jeans? Number two, how about a little profanity in the office? Well, every now and then a little sprinkling of profanity if the situation warrants at the office would be just fine. What the? And third, drinking on the job. Yep. What? Yes. At the end of a long, hard day at the office, how about an ice-cold alcoholic beverage to quench your thirst? You gotta be kidding me! But Vince, what all this means is that earlier today, I stepped down as the CEO of this company. You what? But... Not before I handpicked my own successor. Oh no. And that successor, that new CEO, will have full power and privileges to run this company as he sees fit. So, Vince, Shane, allow Stephanie and me to introduce you to the new CEO. Oh no, this can't be. first one that we hear about is changes to the dress code it's now less formal and uh we're also allowed some profanity and drinking on the job that's now perfectly acceptable linda then announces that she has stepped down as ceo of the company and she has picked her replacement she's chosen the new ceo and that new ceo will have full authority to run the company as they see fit and the new ceo is Stone Cold Steve Austin, complete with a tie. Vince is absolutely stunned. Austin takes off the tie because he has a power finger instead of the power tie. And then we get a middle finger for Vince. Austin talks about making fast transitions in power. And then he books himself versus Shane and Vince at King of the Ring. He also sets up Triple H versus The Rock in a cast match for later tonight. 
and books matches for a few of the other corporate ministry members. And if anyone has a problem with any of that, you can come find Austin. And if he's not having too much beer, he'll talk to you. Dan, an immediate change of gears, high power, out the window, Stone Cold's running the company. What did you make of this second reveal? Um, honestly, didn't like it. I I was just I was still reveling in Vince McMahon's glory to to see it ripped away from me was pretty harsh. Um, <laughs> Hopeless fanboy you are. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I just I, again as as we've touched on before, I just think that you've had this big massive reveal and to have course corrections so quickly is just it's too it is too much. It's too much for a, a show like this to take in my opinion and it's just kind of like we're reverting back to square one so quickly that you don't have time to process it and even if this had been at the end of the night just to have you know segments of of vince and shane and taker and paul bearer and all this lot to to revel in their you know evil dastardly plan being successful and to have it ripped away at the end of the night might have been better but but it was so quick it was just it, it as chris has said it felt it telegraph the fact that the writers didn't like that Vince was the higher power, even though I, I kind of like that idea. And it kind of telegraphs the fact that this, this whole reveal needs to be forgotten about ridiculously quickly. And we're going back to square one. And that's not how I don't think you should tell wrestling stories. It should be developed. It should be layered. It should be, you know, continuously moving it again. It just feels like we're going back to square one with, with Austin and Vincent man being at loggerheads, which they, could have been postponed if it, if they dragged on the higher power. Now, again, these are two brilliant performers, so they made it, they made the roles they were given work down the line later in this month. But as a kind of chapter in a story and a feud, and how enveloped, I wasn't a fan of it. Rory, what do you make of Stone Cold CEO? I just like that Vince McMahon is this otherworldly super being, and yet he still has to take orders from the board of directors in Titan Towers. That's uh, that's quite amusing. If that doesn't show you how useless the whole higher power thing is, I don't know what will. Yeah, I'm kind of with Dan on here. It was so obviously a deflection, and it led me to think that if a WWF were this concerned about reaction to the higher power storyline, then you know what they they could have dropped it. You know, I don't think you know, on the last Raw in May, you know, Steve Austin himself got to see who the higher power was. We didn't on screen. And I suppose when you've gone as far as that, you probably do need to go all the way with the reveal. But when the higher power was mentioned in dispatches in February, March, even into April, I wasn't really champing at the bit to see who it could be on screen at that point. So they could have rode back if they wanted to, but they carried on and only realized too late that it probably wasn't the right decision. And they rushed through this storyline. They definitely rushed this one. Again, there are logic holes in there. Now, Austin's got 50%. Should that necessarily be greater than the 50% held by Vince and Shane collectively? You can pick holes. I think you should, to be, to be fair. Because this, okay, this is yet another situation, which, as we'll talk about, is completely rewritten in just a couple of weeks afterwards. But I think Austin played this role 
very, very well. I do like seeing Steve Austin, the guy, just out there having fun. I, I do like seeing that layer adds to the character just a little bit as a CEO with a tie just literally tied around his neck and then him just throwing the goddamn thing down and going off scripts. Foley, get well soon, you crazy bastard, and dropping in his own Vincisms like notwithstanding. So Austin's promo was really, really good. But yeah, I didn't like how they got there. And I did not like that turn in the storyline. I just don't see Linda and Stephanie would have that amount of savvy, to be perfectly honest. The Federation were kind of just making it up as they went along at this point, I'm afraid. Yeah, it was very much like we've all said. It was the big deflection. It was steering away from the higher power and putting emphasis on a different storyline at the top of the card. And as quickly as possible, we don't need to think that the higher power is Vince. Instead, we can think about Austin is the CEO. So moving on nicely to the Raw from the 14th, uh, where there are plenty of skits relating to Stone Cold Steve Austin being the CEO that we can talk about. Let's start with Living Movies Office Supplies, that way so I can see you. Office Let's get to the show. Let me ask a few questions, find out what you do, what your damn names are. You, sir, good. you do what and you are who? I'm Dennis O'Rourke, Senior Vice President of Marketing, Research and Development. Really? Wow. Is that supposed to impress me? I hope so. Well, you're fired. What? what did I do? You're fired from looking stupid. Now get your ass out the door. I said get your what? ass out the door. I never did like that guy. He's been here nine years. I'm looking so much at your ass on the way out. Nobody ever knew what he did. I hope we got to be more smart asses here. Hey, blockhead. Yeah, you. Me? Yeah. What's your name? My name is Jason Vasquez. Well, what do you do? I'm a mailroom clerk here. Would you like a promotion? Hell yeah! Well then come over here and sit your ass down. You got your promotion. Yes, sir. Thank He's you very much, sir. Clerk. Right, your job is this. If I snap my fingers, damn it, I want a beer and I want it now and I want it open. You got it. You All right. can't promote does him. Does anybody have a problem with Jason's promotion? Yeah, I do. I said, has anybody got a problem with this promotion? No, no sir. sir. All right, let's continue the meeting. I'm getting really getting to know you guys. You can do what? My name is Kevin Albanese. I'm the director of MIS. Hmm, you got some pudding hanging off your nose there. What does MIS mean? Mingling shit. Um, no Stone Cold, I'm in charge of your computer department here at the World Wrestling Federation. Tell me more. He's a nerd. Uh, I take care of any... No, no, I don't want to hear more, because what I want to do right now is have a good old-fashioned beer drinking contest, because I want to find out exactly where you guys stand. The rules are simple. I'm going to pass out this beer. Jason, pick up all that damn beer that you spilled earlier. Do you do that at your house? No, sir. Then you won't do that here if you want your job. Do yeah. you understand me? Yes, sir. Stop all right, I'm going to pass you some, some beer. You I want everybody idiot. to drink up. The rules are this. When I come back in this room, if you're still standing, you still got Jim, a job. What is he doing? If you're not standing, if you land on the ground, puking and and vomiting all over the place, that means your ass is fired. There's never been alcoholic you. beverage yeah, in this wardrobe. Yeah, the damn beer. No slackers here. Here, you they get drink every day at lunch. Three. There you go. Hot shot lawyer. Two, oh, okay. two hour lunches. There's another one for you. Drinking those Probably damn my martinis and stuff. I snapped my damn fingers. I better have one. Gentlemen, start drinking right now, and that's the bottom line, because the new CEO says so. In segments that ran throughout the night, we saw Austin spend the day at Titan Towers getting into all sorts of shenanigans. We will discuss those on the main show. Raw proper opens with Vince and his crew coming down for a promo. Vince bemoans the fact Austin is CEO, but says the corporate ministry will not disintegrate tonight or any night. Vince and Shane book a number of matches for this evening and promise the fans will remember it for a long time. Opening match, Mr. Ass defeats Road Dog in a dog collar match following interference from China. 
Rock comes out for a promo. He tells Undertaker that when he interfered in his match, he checked himself directly into the SmackDown Hotel. He challenges to go one-on-one -on -one with the Great One at King of the Ring. Undertaker comes out and says singing time is over. He accepts the challenge, but Vince is out as he objects. He doesn't think Rock is worthy, and in order to get the title shot, he has to beat Undertaker tonight in a non-title match. Ivory defeat Deborah to win the WWF Women's title thanks to interference from Nicole. Big Bossman vs Tess ends via DQ. Tess is blindfolded, managing to tackle Bossman to the mat. Bossman escaping, hitting him with the nightstick. X-Pac is said to face Big Show, but Show says it's not happening. X-Pac says it's because he's a man who fights for a living. Kane interferes, wanting to take X-Pac's place, but X-Pac wants to do it. That earns him a right hand from Kane, but X-Pac kicks him down as well. Kane knocks Show outside, and Show walks away. Ken Shamrock defeats Jeff Jarrett in two minutes in a straight jacket match. Patterson and Briscoe versus Midian and Viscera ends in a no contest after the posse blindside Patterson and Briscoe. They all beat down on them, and Midian and Viscera take turns squashing the men with splashes. The Acolytes go over Kane in a handicap match to retain the tag team titles. An upset Vince heads to the ring. He states Austin has disgraced for WWF and its headquarters with his mere presence. He will not forget or forgive, and he lays out a challenge. A king of the ring, we're going to take the stock of Vince, Shane and Austin and hang it above the ring for a ladder match. Shamrock charges down and catches Shane and suplexes him as Vince bails. We are set for Undertaker vs Rock, but Triple H comes in and tells us it is actually a triple threat match with him involved. Finish sees Rock pin Hunter with a rock bottom, earning him the title shot at King of the Ring versus Undertaker, and he and Hunter brawl as the show fades. The go-home show for King of the Ring opens with Hunter calling out The Undertaker. It looks like we are set for a match between the two, but Vince comes down with the corporate ministry to keep them apart. Vince hypes up the ladder match against Austin, which brings him out. Austin accepts the match for Sunday, telling Shane and Vince their asses belong to him. Austin says that if any of the corporate ministry interfere on Sunday, Vince and Shane will be DQ'd. Vince uses his 50% to say there are no holds barred and interference is illegal. This brings out Shawn Michaels. He says there will be a match tonight. Austin will face a member of the corporate ministry and if he wins, his stipulations will apply. But if he loses, Vince's prevail. Austin is set to face Bossman with Shawn as the guest referee and Shawn books Patterson and Briscoe against Shane and Vince. Our opening match is a triple threat for the IC title with Jeff Jarrett defending against Test and Shamrock. Steve Blackman interferes, hitting Shamrock with a kendo stick repeatedly. Double J takes advantage to get the pin and retain his title. Rock defeats Edge after a rock bottom and the people's elbow. Taker attacks after the match and hits Rock with a tombstone. Viscera defeated Mark Henry. Austin defeated the boss man to earn himself the right to choose the stipulations of the ladder match on Sunday. Austin celebrates with a beer with Sean after the match. We're set for Val versus Albert but Val attacks early. He handcuffs Stross to the ring and hits a money shot on Albert before the bell. Albert gets handcuffed too and Val opens Albert's tattooing kit. Val uses it to tattoo V on Albert's ass. Billy Gunn and the Acolytes defeat X-Pac Kane and Road Dog after Billy hits a famous onto a tag belt to get the win. Big Show defeats Hardcore Holly in a hardcore match using a car to help pick up the victory. Shane and Vince versus Patterson and Briscoe is thrown out when the posse attack. Joey Abs uses a chair to break Briscoe's leg and Patterson then meets the same fate. In our main event, Triple H versus The Undertaker for the WWF title ended in a DQ after The Rock interfered. Post-match Rock hammers on both of them as a smoking Brahma Ball logo comes down from the ceiling. Paul Bearer gets tied to the symbol and Rock promises to win the title to end the show. We see Austin. He's crossed off Vince's name on the parking spot. 
And uh, he now has his own spot there instead, having taken Vince's. Again, like you say, Rory, I'm not sure 50% to Vince's and Shane's complying 50% quite entitles him to do this, but he's doing it nonetheless. At Titan Towers, Austin gives the receptionist new instructions on how to answer the phone, which are very stone cold, before making his way into Vince's giant office. The three girls, uh, one's there to get Vince his coffee, the other to get his wine, which Austin admits he likes every now and then, and the third is just their backup. So first asks Austin if he, he would like some coffee, but it's 10 a.m., and where he comes from, they do not drink coffee that late. Instead, he will have a beer. The other asks if he wants some food, and he admits that his stomach is rumbling, so just to be safe, he will take another beer. <laughs> Later in the day, Austin attends a board meeting. It starts off with a gentleman, but he's using the term very loosely. Uh, we've got some cases of beer, and he gives them a new manual that they all need to memorise. He fires the head of marketing research, not really sure why, and then he prov- promotes the mail clerk to that position, and no one objects. Austin then announces that they will all be having a drinking contest. If anyone passes out, pukes, or stumbles around, then they are fired. He makes them crack the beers open and get going and leaves. He later spends some time with human resources, which is brilliant. And Austin then finds an accountant. This was my favorite of the skits. So Austin's looking through with the accountant and he sees some losses on the books. Uh, It's pointed out to him that this is from the Zamboni and the beer truck destruction. So Austin (laughs) quickly brushes past them. Instead, he wants Vince's and Shane's salaries changed and Shane's salary is now going to be the beer budget (laughs) rory just a handful of the skits we saw stone cold steve austin making the most of being ceo without actually appearing in the arena on that episode of raw what did you make of all of his shenanigans on the 14th good stuff good good stuff here and they did their best to salvage what they could from the wreckage of the previous week these were clearly and most obviously played for laughs nobody was supposed to take these remotely seriously and i'm glad they did that we had the thing with austin making matches the week before like all babyface commissioners do anyway and i did fear that that is what we were going to get a trope which we've only really had for about the last six months but i'm already rather tired of it so they didn't go down that route they just had austin dicking about in titan towers doing stuff that no no businessman would ever even countenance. And that's why it was so great. Austin's comic timing, I think, is a hugely undervalued facet to his character and personality. He's just one of those naturally funny people. He's not somebody who out and out cracks jokes or slap his thigh, anything like that. He's just somebody who's, when he gets the chance to open up, that you can't help but smile, smirk, and then just laugh out loud. True sitcom stuff. The character... Yeah, in a perfect and naturally funny situation, I him trying to run a billion-dollar company. Yeah, I thought this was great. Didn't Again, didn't really mean a whole lot in the grand scheme of things, but for a few minutes, it was high-quality escapist entertainment, and I think we needed it. Dan, what did you make of all this? So, I know you weren't the biggest fan of Austin being revealed as the CEO, but did this lighten your opinion? Oh, yeah. I mean, as I said, Austin is such an amazing performer that he could make almost anything work. And he made this really, really work. I mean, and it did get great material. I mean, some of the lines in here were just fantastic. I mean, you know, you mentioned it there about how he fires the head of marketing research. And it's like, why? You fire for looking stupid. 
you know, this is good stuff. This is really like when the WWF are in good comedy form, I don't think there's any wrestling company can do it better. Definitely. And I think some of the reason why they are so much ahead of WCW in a minute is that WCW just feels so samey all the all the time. And, you know, it's the same formulaic stuff over and over again, the same tired old guys. I don't think you'll come up with anything as creative as, as a sitcom moment of a fish out of water redneck in a corporate multi-million dollar corporation with a bunch of suits in a in a boardroom doing a beer drinking contest you know this is just great sitcom comedy and i got and a guy in austin who's good enough to cap to pull it off um and again it's one of those things where if they put this in with anybody else i don't think it would work in any way shape or form can you imagine hulk hogan doing this back in the 80s i certainly cannot but austin in 1999 it works it's just a perfect fish out of water um comedy skit and it's just brilliant yeah uh agree with both of you it's just absolutely fantastic and austin is every bit the performer i mean austin and vince are just on another level uh to pretty much anyone else in the business and i do I do agree with what you say when the WWF do comedy right, they really get it right. But I don't know if that that line that you quoted, like you're fired for looking stupid. Like, I mean, that's not like highbrow, particularly like, like you say, you could give that to 99% of guys in the business, any company, any promotion, and it wouldn't be funny, but, Austin pulls it off. It's his timing. It's his character, his demeanor. And it's just like, this was just fun. It was, what if you got to, if you, the job you hate that you're working and slaving away at and you hate your boss, he hates you, but one day you get to be the boss and you're just going to go in and have a laugh, cause some carnage and just be a dick, but in a funny way, basically. And it was it was fun, and it was a quite the change of pace from like the build to the higher power reveal. To we have this a week later, um, but I enjoyed it. I mean, I don't really have a bad thing to say about it. It was just it was just fun. Ideally, they probably could have done this sort of thing maybe say six months ago, something like that, perhaps. Which yeah. You have- but here you're doing it. What I'm trying to say is not so close to the higher power stuff, is what I mean. But in its yeah, own right, definitely. oh yeah, yeah. In, in its own right, absolutely great. No complaints of the content at all. I mean, this yeah. and this and the Vincent Man training skits at the start of the year are just oh, a height yes. the of best. comedy. Yeah, yeah, they they are unbelievable. Um. <laughs> Too heavy, damn it. So with that, we move on to our review of the pay-per-view, the King of the Ring pay-per-view. Uh, Rory, I believe you're the one who has the results up and ready to go. So uh, would you kindly take us through them? Right here, Chief. Right. So King of the Ring, 1999. This is what we got on the pay-per-view itself. Four King of the Ring quarterfinal matches. We had X-Pac defeating Hardcore Holly by disqualification. Kane defeating The Big Show. Billy Gunn defeating Ken Shamrock and Road Dog defeating China. We then had a tag team match, number one contenders match, for the WWF Tag Team Championship, in which the Hardy Boys defeated the Brood. In our two semi-final matches, Billy Gunn defeated Kane 
and X-Pac beat the Road Dog. We then had our match for the WWF title where The Undertaker went over The Rock. Our King of the Ring final match saw Billy Gunn become king for 1999 by beating X-Pac. But our main event, Mr. McMahon and Shane McMahon defeated Stone Cold Steve Austin in a ladder match for control of the WWF. Dan, what did you make of King of the Ring? This is up there with 1995 and 1997 as the worst King of the Ring ever. <laughs> See, this is one of those shows where if you just watch it purely to be entertained by a two and a half hour wrestling pay-per-view with no real wish afterwards to sit down and break it down, I'm kind of envious of that in a way, then I don't think you would have liked this show very much at all. And indeed, I'm going to join you in that particular assertion. I do approve of the fact that if you look underneath the hood, there's possibly a lot more going on here in terms of storyline and advancement and nuance, as is so often the case with the Fed these days. And I do think that helped lift, what we'll, when we'll get there, my overall mark of this one a little bit. But in its own right, from start to finish, not a great pro wrestling pay-per-view. No, I think not a great pay-per-view is quite kind um i didn't i didn't enjoy this one very much at all um i mean it's always hard when you're going to have quarterfinals semifinals and finals of a tournament and the tournament's going to be won by billy gunn like that's difficult for me to like that's such a majority of the show dedicated to that and we all know like tournaments mean naffle in this day and age really like i'm sure billy gunn will have somewhat of a push uh, going into july but like is the, it will it last probably not tournaments don't really seem to mean a great deal in the fed this day and last year was a big like quite the demonstration of that in the last couple of years actually so uh yeah not not a great show in my estimation but we did kick things off uh live from greensburg north carolina our host jim ross and the king and we had our first quarterfinal match of the evening between hardcore holly and x-pac so it's a slow start with holly working a headlock x-pac missed charge and holly's firmly in control x-pac gets a crossbody for two but then gets hit with a power bomb both guys kind of wander around for a bit and not a lot's happening. Before X-Pac makes a comeback, hits in a combination of kicks, hits a Bronco Buster, and Holly then grabs a chair for the DQ after just three minutes of action. Rory, what did you make of our opening match? Yeah, start strong and all that. Yes, if there's any advantage to the paucity of this particular tournament in terms of the times of the matches, it means we don't need to spend equally too much time talking about them. Uh, this was completely utter fucking drack. All you can really say about this is that it makes Holly look like an utter buffoon. Reminded me of the WrestleMania 4 semi-final, Randy Savage versus One Man Gang. A stupid heel getting himself DQ'd. There are probably other examples as well, but I've already talked about this match far too much, Dan. It's rubbish. Yeah, it was pretty shit. Uh, it's not the way you want to be opening a pay-per-view. And uh, like you say, Rory, I think we've already spent too much time talking about it. So 
big turnaround coming up. Our next quarterfinal. <laughs> Kane taking on the big show. Ever the optimist this month. <laughs> so we're underway and they go face to face. Kane goes for a punch, but it's blocked. But he hits with his second all oh, big drama. He rocks the show <laughs> with a few blows, but is manhandled into the corner where he is kicked and stomped. So we get a lot of punching, kicking, and stomping in the opening here. Show misses with splash. Kane tries to mount him, but he's shoved away. They go back and forth with some more punches, and Kane's knocked to the floor. Show pulls him up. We get his, but he's bounced off the ropes neck first. Um, yeah, Kane then goes up top, and he hits. He gets a two count after a lariat off the top. Show then accidentally hits the ref with a boot, so Kane goes low, and Show really oversells this. It looks like he's dead. Holly comes in with a chair, but Kane stops him. Holly then shoves Kane and is chokeslammed for his troubles. Kane then locks on a choke on the big show while the ref is laid out. And uh, speaking on looking like you're dead, if anyone was to actually maintain a chokehold for as long as Kane held this chokehold, you would most certainly die because this lasted about four minutes. Uh, the crowd gets really annoyed with the inaction and Kane eventually... Uh, releases the choke, hits the big show with a chair, and gets the anticlimactic pinfall after around six to seven minutes of boring so called action. Dan, what did you make of our second match? It's rubbish. Rory. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, find a bit more, Dan. Come on. Yeah, I know, I know. I'm it, was, it, was um, it was twice as long as the opener, so. I know, I know. And very, very about brief. half as much happened. Um, yeah, I, I every time I kind of want Kane to get a push because he's looking more buff than he was last year and he's a face, you know, get behind him. He pulls out a match like this, which was, you know, and it just makes me get, yeah, Kane's just not going to get to the top of the card ever, you know, for a while. And talk about guys who are nowhere near the, what they should be at the minute. Big show is, is nowhere i mean he's a, you know he's losing in a quarter final match in the king of the ring when he should be positioned as the top heel monster challenger to stone cold steve austin that's what they're still thinking of for wrestlemania at this point by the counts but where it's going in the minute there is no hope in hell of him getting back to that level because he's out of shape he's not coordinated in the ring he's putting on really sloppy matches after really sloppy matches and by all the counts that torturous chokehold spot was because his timing was all over the place that they actually screwed up their vision your plan finish. So if this was kind of, I don't know, punishment for the big show for just being a complete disappointment, then I could understand this being, you know, how bad it was. But again, from a fan perspective watching it, this was, uh, again, torturously bad. Rory, do you remember when the idea of the Big Show doing a job was was a big deal? <laughs> it wasn't that long ago. It really was not, and now here he is, just dumped out of the King of the Ring quarterfinals with nary a second thought. As I've said before, hit with a chair these days, you might that's effectively a roll up. Let's face it, it's as clean as a sheet in 1999. So this is a bona fide defeat, and make no mistake. And they just don't know what they're doing with him. A week before this. 
he was executing a superhuman feat of strength, moving a car almost at will. And now here he is losing to Kane after being choked out in just six and a half minutes. As Dan says, the plan, supposedly, as we understand it, is that the main event of WrestleMania 16 will be Austin versus Big Show. Vince McMahon's thinking, at the moment at least, is that Show just bubbles under for a while and they try to keep him cool until they try to heat him back up in January and February. But if he is already deep frozen by the time we get there, then it will take a lot more than even a blowtorch to get him ready for WrestleMania. No, it's... It, you are putting all your eggs in one basket there. So, oh, we can just have show doing clean jobs to Kane in the summer of 99 because when the spring of 2000 rolls around, he'll be ready to main event. I'm not so sure about that. And the match was pitifully bad. Yet another contender for worst match of 99. I swear, guys, they're doing this just to annoy us and make our selection process a bit harder. They had no idea whatsoever how to improvise a finish on this one. It gets said these days that you shouldn't try to break down the work rate of most WWF matches because there's nothing there. Yes, but matches like this are the reason why. And that's no excuse. It's fucking shite. Yep. Yeah, uh, terrible match. Um, and just baffling, uh, as you both alluded to, with WrestleMania 16 in mind and the plans in mind. Just there's keeping someone cool and keeping them out of the main event. And there's having them lose in six minutes in the King of the Ring quarterfinals. And uh, they need to be very, very careful because if, if not, Big Show will not be in a position that they'll want him to be in the main event of WrestleMania, let alone whether it's something that the fans accept. If the company will just... He, and by all accounts, I mean, they've got a lot of money invested in this guy and you don't want to ruin that any more than you have within what, four or five months? Like, he's not been around a long time and his stock has plummeted. So they have to be careful. And it doesn't look promising, really, uh, for the big show. Next up, we have our third quarterfinal and we have Billy Gunn facing Ken Shamrock. So Shamrock, who had been injured earlier on in the night on Heat by Steve Blackman, is said to have suffered internal injuries. Billy claims that Shamrock is just scared to fight him Haha, <laughs> and that Shamrock is faking it. Shamrock hears this and storms out to the ring, and he's got some blood dripping from his mouth, so that's the signal of internal injuries. We're underway uh, after Billy Gunn jumps Shamrock and he works over his just whole upper half. So apparently, no one bothered to communicate with either guy, or the guys in there didn't bother to communicate where this mysterious internal injury actually is. So you just get Billy Gunn spending the early part of the match just working over anywhere. He'll work over the arm, he'll work over the head, he'll work over the shoulders, work over the neck for a bit. It didn't matter. If it's in the upper half, he'd work it over. We head outside and Gunn drops Shamrock neck first onto the railing, Shamrock grabbing his neck in pain, selling his neck. Then he works on the ribs, so Shamrock immediately forgets about the neck and grabs those instead. JR then talks about how Gunn is focusing on the injury. What injury? What is injured? Back inside, Billy Gunn misses a splash and Shamrock comes back. He tries a hurricane runner but gets hit with a powerbomb and the ref stops the match after blood spurts from Ken's mouth just three minutes in. Mercifully, this match is over. Rory. Not good again. It might be developing a bit of a theme in this particular one. We'll talk about Billy Gunn himself a bit later, but much like Big Show... Shamrock is going absolutely 
just just going nowhere at this point. I mean, what is his gimmick now? He gets internal injuries a lot. Now he's going to be somebody who bites the condom, as they say, every single week. <laughs> just choose, just <laughs> fuck's sake with that. Hey, hey, the, there's a secret. That's how you play from the mouth in pro wrestling. But Tom, Ken Shamrock, I feel like we're going to be doing this month after month, two and a half years now, yet again, still haven't found a niche for him, and I don't think they ever will. Dan. Guess what? It was rubbish. Yep. This is court. This is why are we doing quarterfinals again? Seriously, we we had a good thing going. We had semi-final matches. You could make them small or long, depending on how much trust you had in the workers. And then you could pad out the show better. We can get some either decent wrestling or decent storytelling. This is neither. This is bad storytelling because Ken Shamrock hasn't got any character to go with and you don't trust the workers enough to put them in long matches apart from the next one we just wasted about 15 minutes of my life watching three bad crap matches yeah i mean you've pretty succinctly summed up my thoughts on the opening three matches there and uh this one very much good this one was probably i think the best of the three but also the one that pissed me off the most so <laughs> there we go so to round off the stellar quarterfinals of the 1999 King of the Ring, we have China with Triple H in her corner taking on Road Dog. So we start with some wrist locks before China gets the advantage, hitting a forearm. She beats Rody down in the corner and they head outside with Triple H helping China to gain the advantage. Back in the ring, she attacks Rody in the corner some more before getting two of an elbow, following up with a DDT, which also gets two. We're actually getting some wrestling. China hits a slam before doing her own version of the road dog strut, dropping the knee and getting another near fall. China locks on a sleeper, but Rody counters into one of his own. China's about to go out in the sleeper, but Triple H puts her foot on the ropes. Rody then argues with Hunter. And China takes advantage of this distraction with a roll-up, which just gets two. The ref gets bumped because, of course, and... Triple H then interferes, laying out Road Dog with a chain. He rolled China into the cover, but when the ref comes round, Rody kicks out. Shawn Michaels makes his way down and to ringside, and he pushes Hunter to the back. Rody, distracted, watches this unfold, and China takes advantage by hitting a low blow. But wait, Road Dog is wearing a cup, and it must have been made of like fucking titanium or something because China's like broken her arm into a million pieces. Rody takes advantage, hits a pump handle slam for the win, and get this, over the 13-minute mark. Dan, what do you make of this Clash of the Titans? I actually thought this was my favourite match of the night. Sorry. <laughs> um, no, it, I, actually, I, I think I'm just pissed off about the third match. I didn't mind this one either. Carry on. Okay. This is just like... It's so simple, but simple storytelling. The fact that we've got, again, let's, let's give them some crop. China is the first woman in the King of the Ring quarterfinal main draw. Huge achievement. However, what is the, the man going to do about fighting a woman for real, even though that, you know, and the fact that they've been friends for a good year as DX. You know, this plays into the storyline. So there's there's reason behind Rodog being reluctant to, to take advantage and that's why China's in control for the majority of the match. But then Rodog has enough, as, as he always do, and, and you know, mounts his comeback. 
the offense isn't that good from either of them because they're not great in-ring performers, but they've got the story and the history to back what they're doing in the ring up. Triple H, I like the role reversal of Triple H being the pesky manager like China has been for the last two years and China benefiting from his outside interference. We've actually got reason for the referees to be bumped this time rather than just being a tired old trope that this company seems to be rolling out every single month on pay-per-view. Um, and, then, and then I like the, you know, we joke about it being titanium, you know, being in, in the cup, but, you know, China has been using that move over and over and over again for the last year, it seems. Finally, someone woke up and realized what to do. She doesn't expect it. She gets her and it costs her, you know, the actual in-ring action itself wasn't that great, but the storytelling and it, it's was actually really, really good. Maybe again, it's just because I've got low expectations with this company in terms of in-ring product, but I, I, I enjoyed this. I, I, I'm a, I'll give it a definite thumbs up. The, definitely the best King of the Ring match we've got all night. Um, but yeah, good. Yeah, I definitely agree. It was definitely the best tournament match. Uh, Rory, do you echo Dan's positivity? I'm just adding up the times here. This match was longer than the previous three put together. So let that one <laughs> sink in, as they say. And yes, I liked it. All the reasons that Dan has said. The storyline here was simple, but it held. Now, Road Dog is, he probably wouldn't even admit it to you, even in an unguarded moment. But he is a true gent, is that particular man. And he isn't one to go up to hit China unless he absolutely has to, and maybe not even then. And China, they've, I think, since China's got in the ring, they walked this line extremely well of making it appear a legitimate enough threat for somebody who can mix it up with the men. But at the same time, she's not making the rest of the roster look weak by just completely mowing through them. And that comment, by the way, it's got nothing to do with her gender. It is to do with the fact that, let's face it, for the previous two years, she didn't do much else than stand outside the ring, fold her arms and hit a few forearms every so often. I have no problem with her competing. I really, really don't. But they're making it realistic that, yes, you feel she could actually win some matches, but she isn't there yet, which is fine. She dominated the vast majority of this match, but she didn't really do a whole lot that made me think in kayfabe she was going to win it. A lot of competent wrist locks, arm locks, that sort of thing. No real impact moves or anything like that. But that is okay. Her stage of, let's call this development for somebody who in the storyline isn't a wrestler, I can buy all of that. And it took Road Dog snapping and a bit of savvy on his part to eventually get the win, which I think, if we're honest, we all saw coming at this particular point. So, yeah, as much as I'd almost like to have, I've got no complaints here. No, I think you're spot on with how they've walked the line of China as an in-ring performer with the men very well. And this match did have the advantage rather than, like, this is, I know it was a quarterfinal match, but like you said, Dan, why are they doing quarterfinals again? Why don't they have, if they'd just done the semifinals and the finals, you'd have had like longer matches, more time to build on a story. Well, this match is the epitome of that, isn't it? If you were having semifinals, you'd have hoped for two matches like this. You had some good, uh, like a lot of story development and okay, like in ring, it's not five-star classic, but they build off the story. It all makes sense and it's fine. And when you have really good story, and the people in the ring are working to that really good story and everything makes sense, then you can't really ask for much more, especially 
when it comes after the three matches that we had to open the show, which had no story and no in-ring merit whatsoever and were terrible. And then you had this, which was quite a nice change of place, a bit of story emphasis, better in-ring work and a decent match. So we move on to our first non-tournament match of the pay-per-view. And uh, we have Christian and Edge of The Brood taking on Matt and Jeff, the Hardy Boys, uh, to determine the number one contender for the WWF Tag Team Championships. So Matt and Christian start things off. Christian hits an arm drag and follows with a lovely gut buster. Edge tags in and him and Christian both close like Jeff. Matt gets the tag. Jeff springs off him right into Edge. Edge escapes outside. Edge escapes and tags in Christian, who runs into a boot and is put in chin lock. Matt kicks Christian, taunts him, but gets hit with a reverse DDT. Both men make the tag. Edge runs over, uh, runs over both, and hits Matt with a DDT. Michael Hayes runs distraction for the Hardys, and Edge is nearly pinned. Edge then spears Jeff and then Hayes, and the finish soon follows with Matt making a comeback, hitting a swinging neckbreaker on Edge for the pin. Rory, what did you make of this neat little tag team match we had? Yeah, just before we went up on air, guys, I was saying that we were going through the results, so I'd completely forgotten this match was even on the card, and I'm glad you've reminded me of it there, Chris, with your excellent run-through, because they packed a lot of action into that five minutes, and so much so I'm actually going to go back and check it out again. Very, very promising, particularly on the on the side of the Hardys. If they've been around one way or the other for five years in the WWF now, amazing when you think about it now, jeff hardy made his debut on tv i think we even talked about it on the show at the time under the name keith davis in may 94 against razor ramon i believe it was on raw he was age just 16 at the time he lied about his age supposedly to get on and he and matt they've been on the enhancement team pretty much ever since uh, those of you with particularly keen eyes will have seen them opening the doors at king of the ring 1995 and now they actually get a chance on pay-per-view to get in the ring and boy did they do the best to take what, unfortunately, was a limited opportunity. But they went for it in this match. I'm still not utterly sold on Edge and Christian as a team. Maybe I'm going to come round to that over the next few months. Because I think, from what I can tell, they're sort of moving away from Gangrel now and the original elements of the Brood, which after their promo two months ago, Dan, might not be the worst decision in the world anyway. Yeah, tons of action here. I mean, that spear spot in particular was a bit of a winner, and I hope we get to see more from these two. But I, Michael Hayes sticks out like a sore thumb. Maybe that's the point, but get rid of him first, and maybe we can get a decent series between these, between these four. Fine stuff, but just far too short again. Yeah, it was a shame, the length of the match. And on uh, Edge and Christian as a team, I... I... I believe was it Judgment Day last year where we had Christian versus Takamichinoku? Yes. Uh and I thought Christian looked so good in that match. Like like really, really good. I know he's in there with Taku, he's a great worker, but it wasn't even a particularly fantastic match. I just thought Christian looked great, worked really well, was confident, and by this point of this year, I would have expected him and Edge to have maybe stepped up a level or at least him as a singles competitor so the jury is definitely still out for me with them as a team purely because that match i i, I mean i remember it. it was probably like i i can't remember the length of the match it was probably less than 10 minutes on the middle of a 
well, Judgment Day pay-per-view, like probably nothing special, but I remember that match because of Christian making that impression of me. So if the team isn't quite clicking, I kind of with you on that one. Anyway, uh, Dan, your thoughts on the art? tag team match because that was sprint um i always i always kind of like have a soft spot in my heart for matches where both teams come out to kind of indifference and then they pull out spots which make the crowd as one pop and that spear in the middle of the you know off the um leap off matt hardy's back is certainly one of them the crowd has loved it and edge is kind of like three second kind of glare into the crowd acknowledgement that yeah that was damn good guys <laughs> better damn pop that's i love that sort of thing um but yeah as rory said the, the hardy boys sort of come from nowhere they've got a chance and they have taken it you know if Edge and christian move away from gangrel it's always a positive because gangrel sucks yeah um and yeah we've we've now got two young teams the acolytes who are the tag team champions at the minute who are big horses Kane and X-Pac, who are a really good storyline team. So I'm going to whisper it quite quietly, Chris, but I think the tag division in WWF is looking pretty good. <laughs> Red rag to a bull there. I mean, I, <laughs> I think it, it's definitely a lot better than last year. Um, well, the, DOA, the DOA have gone. The oddities have gone. Yeah. The headbangers aren't on TV. Uh, like who else is who else of the dregs are gone? You know, the only one who's left really is Midian and Viscera. That's the only team I can think of that downright sucks. And this is the thing like, the, the WWF tag division is not going to be one of my nominations come the end of the year if things continue in this manner because it doesn't deserve to be. It has improved drastically, and this little four or five minute match is proof of that. Like, there's no no two teams in the tag division last year could have had a match as good as this in five minutes no way no no chance and this yeah like i say less than five minutes just a sprint a lot of moves a few good spots but it's promising and it's reason to be excited about the tag division you've got four young guys in there who are all going to develop they're all going to get better and who knows like maybe the tag division going to be something that's something to look forward to rather than something to dread that'd be nice so before we get to our next match vince mcmahon is out he calls the crowd rude as they boo him but he's here to announce that shane is in fact injured and he will be replaced in the ladder match later tonight uh to face austin so vince will have a new partner in the main event due to the injury to shane mcmahon more on that later Back to the King of the Ring tournament now as we kick things off with our first semi-final with Billy Gunn taking on Kane. Kane hammers away to start, so Gunn, Gunn bails and they fight outside. Gunn drop kicks the stairs into Kane before they head back into the ring. Kane is worked over in the corner until he blocks a Faymaster and comes back with a drop kick. And I, the reason I chuckle is because reading my notes, I just noticed this typo, the big slow. <laughs> lumbers out and hits Kane with a chair, giving Gunn the pin at 5.25. And dear listener, it's highly accidental, do forgive me. But yes, the big show did you, you, out. You want to get that one trademark quickly, Chris. <laughs> I don't know, I don't know like where that's come from, but yeah. T-shirt so yeah, big show hitting Kane with a chair, and this allows Gunn to get the pin after around five minutes. 
So, Dan, what did you make of the first semi-final? Guess. It was rubbish. Rory? <laughs> terrible, shite, rubbish. Move on. No, that's fine. Just just, just the fucking pits. I, mean, I, could, <laughs> I, could see what, I could see what they're doing here. They're trying to give Billy Gunn an easy run to the final, him cheating his way to victory. I get it, but again you're taking a risk with somebody like Kane. Again, it's a chair shot, but this day and age, like I say, that's a one, two, three, is virtually as clean as a whistle can possibly be these days. So it's Billy Gunn beating Kane by pinfall. Uh, if you're going to do this finish, you might as well, like especially with Big Show coming out with the chair, you might as well have had them go to a double DQ in the quarterfinal and give Gunn a bye for all the good, use this yeah. match was. Great like, it doesn't help Billy in any way. You still get to continue whatever's going on between Kane and Big Show because that's clearly going to continue based on the finish of this match. Like, if you want to put Gunn over as a major star and establish him and have him ring King the Ring and you want it to mean something, okay, maybe you do have him beat Kane, but then you don't have the Big Show come out and do it because that's a contradiction. Like, it's like you don't want to damage the credibility of Kane by making him job to Billy Gunn. So you get this finish where no one looks good. But if you're worried about damaging the credibility because someone's going to lose to Billy Gunn, then maybe you shouldn't fucking win King of the Ring. <laughs> you I'm can't not... have it both ways. No, you can't. The heel getting a bye to get to the final. They've done that many times before and for a reason. They're heels. They should find sneaky ways to get through to the final without trying. Yes. Sometimes the old ones are the best, you know? If they'd have done that, then you'd have had the finish with the ref calling it with Shamrock's injury and then a bye and then he's in the final like that is so much better than this but no we had this and it was terrible next up we have our second semi-final and it's X-Pac taking on the road dog so Rody starts us off with a headlock but X-Pac comes back with a suplex and hits a leg drop for two X-Pac slaps on a chin lock, but Rhodey makes a comeback with his punches before it hitting a knee drop for two. X-Pac hits a spin kick for another two count, but misses with the Bronco Buster. Road Dog looks for the pump handle slam, but X-Pac counters into the X-Factor to pick up the win just before the three-minute mark, I believe. Yes, that was the whole match. Rory. See, this is on the other side of the scale from a lot of the matches we've had on this tournament, <laughs> thank fuck, that um, it was too short to be bad, if you get what I'm saying. This was them just doing stuff for three minutes and X-Pac wins. It didn't attempt to be anything other than that. And that's... I'm going to defend that many because I like uh, I like Sean Walkman so much. And we had a, a babyface match in the semi-final that ended with a handshake. So that's nice, isn't it? Damn. And crucially, a clean finish. Yeah, there you go. Oh, remember when clean finishes were the norm? We didn't have no. to have chair shots. And <laughs> it's, it, they've, they've been so far gone, Chris. You, you just can't remember when Bret Hart used to win with roll-ups. And... Doesn't every match end with a chair? <laughs> or ref bump. Ref yeah. bump, you know. No ref bump, no chair. Rubbish. Minus five stars. Uh I'm kind of I'm along the same lines as Rory in that they kind of just did stuff. But this is X-Pac and Road Dog. This should be, again, a pretty big match. And, like, you know, the two last surviving members of DX, you know, fighting out to see who's going to take on the traitor. 
this should be a big match. But it was three minutes rather than at least 13. And yeah, again, another example of just why this wasn't a... Yeah, you know, get on my I'll get my fantasy booking hat on when we get to the final. But yeah, I just think this this entire tournament has been completely and utterly bombed out. In like you look at this compared to Survivor Series, the tournament and Deadly Game tournament, oh, how yeah. amazingly well that was booked for a tournament. And you compare it to this, it's it's not even night and day. It's like it's like. Abyss of levels of hell versus wonderful shining lights of heaven, the bad. God, you made me remember how good Survivor Series was while talking about this. Yeah, that is like absolute night and day. Um, God, this that's just made this show even worse for me. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> do, do you know what? It's not even the show isn't even that bad, but it really just didn't sit well with me at all but i don't know if that's coming across at all in my match reviews but yeah <laughs> so moving away from the king of the ring tournament we have the match for the wwf title with the undertaker defending against rock initially i was like what the title was not going on last but then i realized the company is probably bigger than the title so i didn't actually mind that austin was in the main event rather than the wwf title so uh, we're underway and Taker immediately knocks the ref out. Rock then hits a rock bottom early, but of course there's no ref. A second one comes in, but he soon suffers the same fate as the first. Eventually, Undertaker chokeslams Rocky for two. Rock comes back and eventually they head outside after a double clothesline and they brawl around ringside and up the entrance ramp. Taker suplexes on the floor on the way back down. And back inside, Undertaker hits some punches and eventually gets another two count. He's working the arm before they head outside again, with the Undertaker blocking a chair shot with the ring bell. Paul Bearer gets some cheap shots in on the rock before they head back inside. Undertaker cuts off a rock comeback with a DDT, but again, only gets two. He follows this up with a big boot, which again, only gets two. The rock makes a comeback, hitting a Samoan drop, which also gets two. The Rock hits some punches and hits a DDT for another two count. The ref gets bumped again, third ref bump of the match, and The Rock hits the, the elbow. Paul Bearer preps an ether-soaked rag, but The Rock gets hold of it and uses it on The Undertaker, but unfortunately for him, The Ref is still out. Triple H runs in, he hits a pedigree on The Rock, and The Ref wakes up as Undertaker rolls over for the cover, but only counts two. Taker's up, he hits a tombstone, which is enough for the win just before the 20-minute mark. Dan, what did you make of our WWF title match and Undertaker retaining? Um, I don't know whether Bob Collin infected me with his negativity two months ago when I was on Backlash, but I fucking hate this match so much. I mean, there's so many problems with like the Undertaker's character in general, but he's almost become irrelevant since the higher power, because he's now been usurped as the top heel, but he's left with this awful character, which means that we have to suffer through, you know, him plodding through promos and matches, and we have none of the campiness that came with him, you know, from January to April, which made him, I don't know, what not, not even watchable, but you know, I could put up with him. Now I just now I just 
wanting him off my TV completely. I don't want him to see him in matches. I don't want to see him at all. And he dragged The Rock into that evil negative zone vortex because The Rock is a good brawler. We've seen this with Austin and Mick Foley. The Rock can do it. And yet these two had to sit, just punched and kicked their way through crowds at the outside for what seemed like an eternity. There were no spots in this match at all. Apart from you know, the only thing I could think of was the bell shot that you mentioned. But apart from that, until we got to the finish, this was incredibly dull, which attitude era brawls can't be. That the whole we, if we're going to miss out on great technical wrestling, we've got to have entertaining brawls. And these two men did not deliver at all. And I'm putting the majority of the blame on the Undertaker because he's done this a few times now with Austin in particular, where he cannot brawl. So yeah, the majority of this match stunk. Then we get into the three ref bumps. The three ref bumps in one match. Are you insane? Two of them came at the start of a match. That's just nonsensical. I'm sorry, but we, we've now officially jumped the shark with this with this trope. He's ready to make the jump. I'm still... The ref bump beforehand was like a dastardly evil villain move, and now I'm just shrugging my shoulders whenever it happens. What is the point in them? Yeah, so that happens, and then we get the bloody ether. The ether comes out. What is this? Bloody 1970s Memphis Territory. <laughs> Rubbish. The Undertaker being affected by ether is just, again, just so ridiculous. It's just not funny. It's silly. It's, yeah, comical. And then we get Triple H running out again. Oh, another fucking interference spot. I don't know whether this was because I fi it, fin it finally broke me, the WWF style of, of storytelling with, with, the, with the ref bumps, the interference, everything like that. I don't know what it was about this match and about this entire show in general, but to me, I finally have reached my breaking point with that, this style. And it was never this bad. It was never this overused. Even two months ago at Backlash, to me, it, it I, there's... Yeah, this match, is, this match was rubbish in general. Just get it off my screen. Get The Rock far away from The Undertaker as possible. I don't want him ruined like it had, like Ken Shamrock was two months ago. Rory, follow that. Uh, can I come in now? <laughs> okay. I think you are going to get your wish, Dan. I don't think we're going to be getting an Undertaker versus The Rock series for... Any good amount of time, which I'm rather pleased to say. Yeah, this was uh, this was pretty listless, wasn't it? They went into autopilot mode here. WWF Championship matches, they have to be 20 minutes long. There has to be all around the arena brawling. There has to be ref bumps. There has to be visual pins. This was just an exercise in box checking. Now, in its own right, I can accept that. Now, I didn't really want to see The Rock win the WWF title at this point in his babyface run, he's only turned two months after a hastily put together feud with The Undertaker, which is what, two weeks ago they put this one together. So it's because they needed a WWF title match. They inserted The Rock in there. Okay. And he's, he's not hurt by a loss because the crowds utterly love that they now get the chance to cheer for him. And he will have other days, other title matches. Uh, babyface Rock will be WWF champion one day, but I'm okay with it being 
not yet. And that was my sole consolation for this match, really, because I knew we were going to get to an Undertaker victory. It was just a case of how we got there. And it was pretty limp. He, you're right, that Undertaker wasn't giving much in this particular match. Suggested to me he didn't really want to be there, whether it's his own dissatisfaction with the booking or not. I don't know whether he just out and out struggles to go 20-minute matches. I think all of those are factors, but that doesn't help us any. We've still got to watch the damn things. Because we are so used to it these days, we could say, oh yes, uh, a brawl for the WWF title. It's going to hit three stars just by virtue of turning up. No, no, no. You, a, you've got to have the people to do it and you've got to have the surroundings. That's why I was such a fan of Backlash. Yes, it was 20 minutes of punching, but I felt like it meant something and the crowd were into it. Hook, line and sinker. This was 20 minutes of punching and kicking because it had to be 20 minutes of punching and kicking because that's what you do in WWF title matches. There didn't feel like a whole lot of thought put behind this other than perhaps uh, The Rock getting a... A phantom three count at the start. That was weird. I think that was just in there so people who, like me, knew really deep down that The Undertaker was winning could allow themselves to think that The Rock is capable of beating him if they have a match particularly down the line in the future. I don't know. But poorly put together, underthought and undercooked, I'm afraid. Yep, I entirely agree with uh, both of your assessments of that match. Really poor stuff, and again, right now you've put it in my head, Dan. Deadly games. You think about Rock then and now, Babyface Rock, and the amount of potential he has. And I think you're right to desire that he's been he's kept as far away from the Undertaker as possible. And Rory, I sincerely hope you're right that he will be, because he deserves better. And to be honest, the potential he has deserves better than this match and uh, I know you said Dan you put the majority of the blame on the Undertaker I'd put near enough all of it like I've seen The Rock have some really good brawls like not even recently like in the last going back years as part of this podcast we've seen The Rock have some really good brawls back when he was in The Nation and this was really bad and I hope he is able to get in there with someone where he's able to crack on with his potential because that's the level of ability that he has and deserves to be able to express rather than having the most plodding, boring brawl with The Undertaker who has done it many a time in the past. Moving on, we have the final of the King of the Ring tournament with Billy Gunn versus X-Pac. So X-Pac goes after him immediately and closed Lang's gun to the floor. He follows up with a plancher, but back inside, hitting a crossbody for two. Gunn fights back, hitting a bulldog. The crowd are completely silent here, and Gunn decides to tell the silent crowd to shut up while holding a face lock. Great heel work there. <laughs> Billy hits a fame master, but it only gets two. X-Pac comes back with the X-Factor, which also gets two. He hits a Bronco Buster, but Billy comes back with a neckbreaker. They fight up on the top rope, and X-Pac gets knocked off. So Billy comes off the second rope, hitting a Fame Arser for the pin, meaning that Billy Gunn is the 1999 King of the Ring. Rory, what do you make of the match, and what do you make of the King of the Ring? 
Uh, the match itself was serviceable, mainly because of the person who was in there who was eventually taking the three. He held this one together, did his job. I'd rather that he had been given another one in this particular final match, but they had made their decision beforehand. And for what it was for five minutes and 35 seconds, it was at least watchable. X-Pac having his own finisher kicked out of, having won decisively with it 30 minutes earlier, notwithstanding. But anyway, that's out of the way. Let's rip apart King Ass, so, so to speak, shall we? <laughs> if I could even say it, if I could really get my lips around those particular <laughs> words. In principle, I don't have much of an issue with them awarding this to Billy Gunn and giving him a push. By all accounts, he was in line for one back in January to win the IC title from Shamrock. But Royal Rumble 99, that was. But he celebrated a day early, shall we say. So the WWF quickly got cold feet and they didn't do the title change. Now they've gone ahead and done it. They've turned him heel. And he is now king of the ring as a supposed stepping stone, as I said earlier, to greater things. Now, Billy Gunn, we know, is not great in the ring. He certainly doesn't have the chops at all as a heel to carry a match. That worries me a lot going forward. He is a baby face. We say every month, but with good reason. He is a baby face hot tag guy. Guy takes the heat, hot tag, 10 minutes in, flurry, 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 diving clothesline, famous a thing, end of story. That's fine. That's his role. No, not everyone can be fucking Luthers, and that's fine. That's what Billy Gunn's done. He's made a good career out of it for the last six years. I don't have an issue with that. But it's one of those much vaunted, as I mentioned on these shows, too often a self-fulfilling prophecy. He has been part of a tag team who have got themselves riotously over, one of the most overacts in the company. But there, that's merely, really by association. No, there is a reason that Road Dog does three minutes of talking and Billy Gunn did three seconds worth. You know, Billy Gunn surprised that if you went down with that, we've got two words for you a bit whilst Royal Dog did all the heavy lifting on the mic for a very good reason. So there's that. There's the fact that I don't think he can carry it in the ring as a heel. Is that he hasn't got the mic chops. What is his character that he's got an arse? Well, that doesn't really mark him out from 6.4 billion people around the world. Not really much of a selling point that he actually owns a dairy air. No, you might need that one fleshed out a little bit more. But he, what he needs to do, he just needs to run on his own for three or four months. In the mid-card, lower mid-card, upper mid-card, anywhere in that particular region, having six or seven-minute matches on Raw and pay-per-view and winning them against mid-card babyfaces. But they're not doing that. It already looks to me as though he is going to be playing second fiddle to Triple H. Yes, Mr. Insecurity needs somebody to do his bidding for him yet again on the issue of image rights of DX. Now, I can count on the fingers of one hand of the people who were bothered with that. And even then, I'm probably overstretching. So Billy Gunn himself has got a lot of work to do. But already, it appears as though they are putting roadblocks in his way that he really doesn't need because he's quite capable of putting them down there himself. So I think, you know, touch wood, I hope I'm wrong because they need another upper mid-card heel. They really do. So there you go. Touch wood, not a strong start at all. Dan, what do you make of the match and the victor? Um, the match itself was just kind of there, really. I mean, it's, the guys have, no, X-Pac in particular has, has always seemed to be working hurt and had already been up there twice before, so he wasn't going to get a great performance from him. It was just kind of like a more of a holding hand job, and that's what um, we got from Billy Gunn there. Sorry, terrible deal on Tondra thrown in there too. Um, <laughs> 
this is the time to do it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God's sake. <laughs> oh, dear me. Deep, deep breaths. Um, so Rory has very eloquently and succinctly run down all the reasons why Billy Gunn is a bad choice for King of the Ring. I would I even go as far as saying I think Mabel is a better King of the Ring because at least I can buy him as a threat. I cannot buy Billy Gunn as a threat. A, because he, his gimmick is that, again, he, he fancies his ass. His music is a high-pitched man screaming about how he likes his ass. How is this man meant to be a credible threat to Stone Cold Steve Austin, the most uber-tough guy the industry arguably has ever seen? So it's just they, those two don't match in a feud. I can see Billy Gunn taking on The Rock, potentially. I can see Billy Gunn taking on Shamrock. I can see him taking on X-Pac. I cannot see him facing Austin. I could see Mabel taking on Diesel. So that leave, we'll leave that hanging there. Two is that they have not done anything to make us believe that this guy should deserve to be King of the Ring. Is it, it was only, he only turned two months ago. They've not given him, not given him any big wins. They haven't even done properly. They broke up breaking up of a tag team trope that we've kind of you know loved or hated, depending on which tag team it is. The New Age Outlaws were so over that they deserved one. And I know that they had a match technically at that pay-per-view last month, but let's be honest, that pay-per-view last month does not count for wrestling matches. You might as well just strike the results from that pay-per-view completely. Yes. Why don't we do that again? Why didn't we have X Park versus Road Dog in a semi-final and have both the outlaws in the final of the King Ring tournament and Billy Gunn, you know, cheats his way to get to the final easily and beats Road Dog clean, importantly, clean to get the win. Because, you know, the, this guy has beaten Ken Shamrock, Kane, and X Park in the three rounds to win this tournament. That is a resume that is right up there with Brett and Owen in 93, 94 when the King Ring was one of the most glamorous things to win in the wrestling industry. And yet no one cares. Nobody cares that Billy Gunn has beaten these three really big over talents to become King of the Ring. He has not gained anything by winning. So not only is this the right man, uh, the wrong man, sorry, to win King of the Ring this year, is that, and it's also the wrong time for him to win King of the Ring because the booking has been terrible. You know, if, if you wanted to do it, if you want to make King of the Ring a thing, just make Triple H the winner. Make him the, you know, the first two-time winner of the King of the Ring so he can go and feud with Austin. Because yeah. he feels more like a, you know, he feels more like a main event right now than Billy Gunn does. Unfortunately, so Rory, that's the case. Um, so yeah, just, just really disappointing all around. Really bad King of the Ring tournament topped by a really bad winner, unfortunately. Yeah, I think you've both summed it up quite nicely not great deal to write home about with the match um obviously it will come out a few days after the show but x-puck working hurt and uh throughout the night so it makes the booking decisions even more questionable and even worse in hindsight so if x-puck's working hurt do him a favor don't make him work three times maybe just give him the final off at the very least and then you can have that outlaw match in the main event of the King of the Ring tournament. Even that doesn't take away from everything you both eloquently highlight about Billy Gunn being the wrong man at the wrong time. 
not someone you would want in this spot, not someone you see as king of the ring, not the right character, not the right talker, not the level of worker you'd want um, anyone in this spot to be. So generally speaking, this was a terrible tournament with a bad outcome and it didn't make for great watching, great viewing on the pay-per-view. But we have a chance to turn it round as we do have one match left on the show. It's main event time. Stone Cold Steve Austin is set to face Vince and a mystery partner as Shane McMahon is apparently injured in a ladder match for control of the company. However, GTV reveals that Shane is not actually injured after all. Vince's attempts to have him replaced by Steve Blackburn fall by the wayside. So we do have Austin versus Vince and Shane. We go brawling down the aisle immediately and uh, we head back to the ring for some arse whooping from Austin on both men. Shane gets posted and the McMahons eventually finally get smart and attempt to double team Austin. Vince goes for the ladder, but Austin just fights back and kicks his ass. Austin tosses the McMahons into the ladder base supports on the entranceway one by one until eventually the whole thing topples down on them in a really cool spot. Austin takes a ladder into the ring before nailing Shane with it and sending flailing onto the announce table. Austin then sets the ladder up outside and he elbows Shane through the Spanish announce table. He goes back up the ladder, but Vince pushes him over and into the US announce table. Vince climbs the ladder back in the ring, but is knocked off by Austin. Austin hits Shane with the ladder in the corner, then slingshots him into it and stomps a mud hole in Vince. Austin climbs to the briefcase, but the ladder's knocked over. Austin finally hits both men with stunners before setting the ladder up and climbing it, reaching for the briefcase. But then it is lifted up and out of his reach. Someone is lifting the briefcase, so Austin can't reach it while on a ladder. Austin gets really angry, understandably, grabbing ring officials and freaking out, basically. Vince takes advantage of this and goes for the case. Austin cuts him off, clobbering up, clobbering with, with punches. Oh, Austin fighting McMahon off that ladder. Something's got to give here. As Vince and Austin fight on the ladder, Shane jumps both men off, climbs up and grabs the case for himself, picking up the win for the team of him and his father after around 17 minutes of action. Shane and Vince run for their lives after the match. Dan, what did you make of this main event and that finish? Hmm, I, I seem to be in the minority of this, but um, I didn't like this match. Um, I, I feel I have got overexposed to, in particular, Vince in main events. Because everything that makes Vince great is stuff that he does in a suit or in a velvet robe, you know, with the microphone in his hand. It's not in, you know, in matches. And he's been involved in the last, in 50% 
of the main events on pay-per-view this this year now i i i'm getting overexposed to that and the fact that yes the they're, they're funny in bits the, the spot with them with austin collapsing the ladders onto them is is funny the bit with the you know the the tumbles off the the top of the ladder were were cool but i'm i'm now kind of numb to them a little bit i must admit which is which is sad i don't want to be that that but ultimately i'm tired of seeing vince mcmahon as a in the main event and i'm tired of seeing austin kind of in non in these non in these non-events really because you know every every time i watch this match i'm just thinking oh when's the shenanigans gonna happen again because this company is just so stuck now in this kind of over bloated overbooked mess that i'm just waiting for the inevitable stupidity to happen an argument and yeah it ultimately comes when austin goes to the briefcase and it lifts up and you know when you've got a match needs to have an instant finish in my opinion you need to have a near fall to get the drama I don't think a briefcase being lifted up and lifted up into the rafters to stop Austin crabbing it counts like that kind of like oh no moment where near falls you know, prevent baby faces to winning it and yeah I, I I was numb for this entire match I I really struggled to get invested in it and I'm it's always it's arguably also spoiling me voting for Vince as as um, non wrestler of the year because he's again he's been in so many main events so far already this year can i really give you know someone as amazing as vince mcmahon the the non-wrestling performer that award because he's been involved in so many matches this year and i'm getting tired of them so yeah but ultimately this was almost completely negated the next night on raw which we'll talk about later on so yeah it just makes the this match even more pointless rory uh what did you make of our main event a couple of months ago in one of his many media interviews these days yeah just funny that isn't it vince mcmahon would you know, barely show his face during the 80s now you can't get enough of him i wonder why and one of those many media interviews he stated that he can see a day in the future where the company changed their name and the word wrestling does not even feature this if he gets his wish and let's face it if he can make it happen is what we will be getting in in said future if that happens because this was pure sports entertainment you could barely call any of this even professional wrestling as we as we have come to know it over the last two years this was pure slapstick comedy stuff of the good guy doing his best to outwit not but it's very difficult the two hapless bad guys who somehow just happen to have somebody in the back in their pocket who can help them come out on top and that is what this was. And there you rate it. It stands or falls on how entertaining it was. And it was all right. The spots were fine. The whole ladder collapse thing, I think it sounded better than it looked. It was extremely safe. Most important thing these days, of course, don't get me wrong. But I didn't get the sense that Shane or even Vince could, could not crawl out of those ladders. They were well separated from them. Sounded great. Didn't look all that hot. And yeah, you're right, Dan. 17 minutes here all of us were waiting for the screwy finish it was it was never going to end with austin getting the briefcase it was never going to end with vince and shane cleanly getting the briefcase something was going to was going to happen and when it did it was rather anticlimactic to the point where the crowd didn't really get from their vantage point what was happening and i can't say i blame them even on screen it didn't look emphatic and definite enough 
that the briefcase was being moved. If you're going to do that, you've got to go all the way with it. You've got to have the briefcase you know, yanked all the way up to the roof almost. But there, if you're moving it about five yards, you're thinking, well, <laughs> that's not really you know, really rubbing Austin's face in it. You know what? You know he could, you know, from there he could just go potentially just grab a bigger ladder or something. You know, plus the fact you've got all the setting up the ladder in the wrong place and the slow climb nonsense, which I talked a lot about. During SummerSlam 98, I got a lot of heat for. Maybe people will come around to my point of view when they align it to this match. Uh, yeah, just a a smart enough finish, but it made Austin look a little bit dumb, and I don't think that's what they were going for. We all knew really that Vince and Shane were going to eke this one out because you're not going to run with Austin as running the company for any more than a couple of weeks. And this, once again, not for the last time, not, I imagine not for the last time, certainly not for the first time whilst we've been doing this shows in this new era of the WWF, a pay-per-view main event is rendered moot the next day. Weak source. Yeah, it was. I think I expected more from this match on paper. And Dan, you raise a really interesting point. At what stage is Vince McMahon not eligible for non-wrestler when he wrestles so often. Well, I say wrestles so often. He's in matches so often. I just, I love Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Vince McMahon. It's one of the greatest feuds I've had the pleasure of watching in any era of professional wrestling. I don't need to see Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Vince McMahon in matches anymore. Like, and it's hard because obviously, how do you run with that storyline if you're not going to have Vince wrestle? But then maybe just don't run with that storyline if you can't think of a way to have someone wrestle for Vince. You could get more out of Stone Cold Steve Austin in your pay per view main events than this type of match. Like, it's just sort of comedy in a way, sort of spotty. It's not really an Austin like walking brawl like we saw last year, the matches he had in main events against Dude Love or people like that. It because Shane and Vince can't have that type of match. They can take a move here or there and they can try and sneakily double team the babyface, but they're not workers in the sense of the type of person that Austin should be in there with. And it's a waste to me to have someone as hot as Stone Cold Steve Austin and put him in matches where the crowds can be underwhelmed. I thought the finish was okay. I didn't mind that as an idea. It's a bit silly. Um, and whatever I did think about the finish, as you say, Rory became entirely it became forgotten about again by the next night. And I don't think that's a great trend to set that oh, it doesn't matter whatever happens at the pay-per-view, we're probably just going to change it all up the next night anyway. I mean, it's not like they're struggling massively for pay-per-view buys, but I just don't think that's a particularly great precedent to have established within your fan base. But yeah, I was underwhelmed by this match. And considering I didn't have massive expectations, considering the opponents Austin had is quite disappointing 
But with that, we come to an end of the King of the Ring 1999 pay-per-view. So, uh, Rory, I'll come to you first with your overall thoughts on this show and a score rating out of 10. Well, where there's life, there's hope. And there are molecules of hope with the detritus of this particular show. You've got China, who might be... I'm interested to see what they make of her. You've got the Hardy Boys, who look like they could be showing something. You've got the brood, the real brood, Christian and Edge, could be a tag team to record within the future. You haven't got a whole lot else, I'm afraid. I think I overshot myself when I was prepping this show about an hour and a half ago, and I just settled back into person watching a pro wrestling pay-per-view for two and a half hours and thinking that the action laid out before him was actually really quite crap, or rubbish, if you will, which indeed it was. And it must be said as well, a very important point, in the three big matches here, the world title match, the King of the Ring match, and the main event, the heels went over. Never a good look. Three out of ten. Dan, same question to you. Yeah, um, not good. Rubbish. It's it, my to use my line. Um, just, I think this. It feels like this company is just kind of. I used the phrase earlier, but jump the shark with how they book their shows. I mean, there's so there was so much interference. There was so many ref bumps. There was all the stuff pre like pre main event stuff with Shane McMahon being injured and having Steve Blackman of all people being touted for the main event before it's revealed. Oh, all the ruse. I mean, why, why do we need that? It's just pointless fluff. And there was so much of this on this show. Like there was that you could trim so much of this fat elongate, some of the elongate, some of the matches. And I know I'm kind of booking it to suit my own personal taste, but you know, I, I I'm right. Because you know, good pay per view, good pay per views have been done before where the matches were longer. Just look at Backlash two months ago, which I think is still a really good show, and it's it feels, you know, that felt like it was trending on the line. This this felt so overblown, so you know, sit stupidly laid out. A really bad show, in my opinion. Uh, two out of ten. Yeah, I'm with you on the 2 out of 10 here, Dan. Um, as was probably apparent throughout, I really didn't enjoy this show. I thought the tag match was good, um, but it was, what, less than five minutes. I didn't mind China and Road Dog. Um, aside from that, there wasn't a great deal on this show that I really enjoyed, and there was a lot that made me angry and offended me as a viewer, which is never good. So 2 out of 10 one of my least favourite WWF shows of the year. The final war opens with Vince celebrating the result of the main event last night. We'll talk more about this on the main show, but Austin comes out and reveals he has booked himself against The Undertaker for the title tonight, with a stipulation that if anyone interferes, Austin gets the belt. Our opening match saw Ken Shamrock and Steve Blackman end in a no contest in a weapons match after Blackman walked away. Billy Gunn brags about winning the tag titles last week before switching gears to winning three matches in a row last night against people at the top of their game. It is now all about him. Hunter and China interrupt wanting to talk business surrounding royalties from the DX name and brand. Rock runs down assaulting Triple H and Ass is knocked down. We see Test and Steph leaving a motel on GTV. Chaz defeats Meat with a reverse DVD. Hardcore Holly defeats Kane after the Big Show interfering, choke slamming Kane. 
Post-match, as punishment for taunting him, Kane chokeslams Holly four times. Rock defeats Triple H via DQ in less than two minutes after Billy Gunn running, KOing Rocky with a club. Edge defeats Godfather after interference and distractions from Droz and Albert allowing him to hit a spear. Bradshaw defeats Billy Gunn after a huge lariat in a three-minute match with multiple belt shots and two people interfering. Our new women's champion Ivory and Nicole Bass come out for a promo. Ivory talks about how real she is and how she wants some competition. She offers an open challenge to any fan in the crowd. A woman gets in the ring but starts to back off. Ivory slaps her and the cat fight is on, only to have Bass powerbomb the fan. Ivory drags her around by the hair as security make the save. Jeff Jarrett retains his IC title after Billy Gunn hits the Famous on X-Pac, Double J rolling over and getting the win. And in our main event, which you will hear about on the main show, Stone Cold Steve Austin defeats The Undertaker to become the new World Wrestling Federation Champion. So we have just the one Raw to look at between King of the Ring and the end of the month. And it was a pretty eventful one, as we've all alluded to. So... We open with a video package from last night's main event, which shows Austin getting screwed out of his powers as CEO. The uh, corporate ministry kick things off, balloons fall, and Vince and Shane are downright giddy. Shane is going to fire Vince as CEO. Vince promises that Austin is going to go back to the bottom of the ladder, and as for tonight, Austin will be in a prelim match and then get to take the ring apart to end the show. Eventually, Austin interrupts their celebrations. He's not surprised about what happened last night. He's not surprised that he was screwed. He's so not surprised that he did a few things when he was still CEO. In addition to giving himself a new contract for more money and the ability to attack Vince whenever he'd like, he is facing The Undertaker tonight for the WWF title with the stipulation if that anyone interferes, Austin will win the belt. So our main event was set. We have The Undertaker versus Stone Cold Steve Austin for the WWF WWF title on Raw. The finish of the match came. Austin countered a tombstone uh, into a stunner. And it's just two as Paul Bearer pulls the referee out. stipulation about anyone interfering but I guess they meant more attacking Austin than pulling the ref out but Austin was right back up and hit another stunner which was enough for the free count making Stone Cold Steve Austin once again the WWF champion to round off Raw and to round off the month. Dan what did you make of the angle on the show the celebration that Austin having booked himself in this match before he lost his powers and the match itself and Stone Cold Steve Austin once again the champ. Um, good, good overall. I'm gonna say because one, yeah, he's smart babyface. How often do we get to say that? You know, Austin's been around with Vince McMahon for a long enough time. He knows that there's going to be some kind of machination plot to get the CEO title off him. So I'm going to go two steps ahead of you, which 
makes sense. He's done it before with uh, with the Judgment Day firing as well, I do believe as well. So yeah, it's, it's been done before, but it's worked before. So yeah, good. Um, two, the belts off the bloody Undertaker. So yay, thank God. Stone Cold Steve Austin, the WWF champion, is all it is still the right decision because he is still the biggest megastar in the industry, and the WWF title should always be on that guy, if unless there's a massively good storyline to it, and Undertaker's not good enough here, and the storyline's not good enough. Still, a higher power has been put. Um, and but the match itself, I mean, it's it's just uh, you know standard TV Raw match. I mean. The action itself was was probably below par, but the crowd again are just so ridiculously hot for Steve Austin and then what everything he does that it's definitely easily watchable and almost entertaining. Um, it's not it's not quite as good as the other two big Steve Austin post pay per view WF title matches that I can remember. One against Kane uh, after last year's King of the Ring, actually, twelve months ago. Um, and against the Rock Art of Survivor Series, but you know, ultimately, it did the job of getting the belt off that bloody Undertaker and on back onto Steve Austin, which I'm happy about. So, I wouldn't do it again. I think now they've done this trick three times, as I've mentioned, twice Austin's won. I can't see this happening again because otherwise, it does get into being overplaying their hand territory. But yeah, I, I I will give it a tentative thumbs up, and if it means that we're going to get finally a blow off match between Austin and Taker next month, then so be it. But I will give it a tentative thumbs up just now. Rory, over to you with your thoughts on all of that. Yeah, I do like that Austin during his stint as CEO found time in between allocating himself the beer budget and filling Vince McMahon's office with manure to give himself a world title shot. Priorities, a eh? priorities. Match for a Raw main event and for an Undertaker match was um, was okay. Yes, there were two long Undertaker rest holds in there because, of course, there were. I mean, try bringing that up to him at Wrestler's Court and see how far you get. So I'll let that one slide. And there was actually some pretty nifty booking in here as well because even though, as Dan says, they went this way with Austin after the King of the Ring last year and very nearly did after Survivor Series, I'm still not absolutely convinced that the fans were in the attendance were expecting a title change here. So doing the false finish, I think, helped. Uh, a, in a kayfabe sense, it meant Austin could get up there and nail Paul Bearer so he couldn't interfere again. The crowd are thinking at that point, oh, what are we going to get here? we got a two and a ref pull out. Are they going to pull the trigger? I hope they are, you know. And then 30 seconds later, they did, and the roof just blew off the place. It was a mega pop probably one of Austin's biggest and that is saying something it's extremely handy indeed to say the least that the WWF have have in their locker Steve Austin winning the WWF title is something they can put if he's not the champion they can pull that on at any time even here with limited amount of build and nobody's going to complain too much I do wonder with Undertaker getting his heat back at the end of the match or after the match because of course he did that it looks as though we're going to be getting Undertaker Austin again at the next pay-per-view, that perhaps they could have done the title switch there rather than hot-shotting it on Raw. But I do understand it, especially coming off such a limp pay-per-view, which, as I just said, was such heel-heavy in the wins column anyway, that I can see why they did this. 
I don't want it to happen every five or six months or so. I'm still fairly old school in that respect that TV should build up to your pay-per-views and that's where you do your big title matches and title changes. But I didn't want to see The Undertaker with the belt at this point any longer than I had to. And I suppose this is, as we said on these shows last year, Chris, normal service has been resumed. Yep, very much so. Uh, Dan, you said he... Unless you've got explicitly excellent storyline reason why the belt isn't on Austin, then the belt should be on Austin. And normal service resumes. Stone Cold Steve Austin is the champion. And almost as importantly, The Undertaker is not. Ah. So we can all breathe a sigh of relief. And maybe, just maybe, everything this month was worth it after all. As irrelevant as it now is, let's hope it was worth it. And I think that will just about do it for this month's WWF edition of the show. So I'd like to thank, firstly, Dan for being on. Thanks, Dan. Um, Great contributions, as always. Cheers, Chris. Always a pleasure. Um, Anything to plug? Your Twitter or anything like that? Or No. No. Uh, Patreon. We're Patreon. Um, Yeah. So us three did a little We Watch Along of... uh... One of the uh, pay-per-views of the 2010s, Money in the Bank. So if you enjoy our ramblings, particularly of us three, uh, go and have a, you know, have a look at our Patreon page. You'll see that in the latest post for $5 a month and also get access to our quite dense back catalogue of stuff, which we have going up, you know, each and every month. Watch along some pay-per-views, just little mini discussions about, you know, topics that we don't really get a chance to talk about on the main timeline shows um show and tell with tunes with uh mr king of extreme chris lacy so there's loads of good stuff content up there five dollars a month they can all be yours as well as one dollar a month you can get early access to shows when they are available and edited uh, mostly ecw but sometimes wcw and wwf too uh and yeah we're all grateful for your uh vital support to keep and the podcast running and just give you uh, a little bit extra content because you guys are deserving all. So thank you very much for your contributions and I hope you enjoyed the show. Lovely. Thank you, Dan. And uh, Rory. Steps of speech, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> We've got it well trained, haven't we? Yeah, yeah, very much so. Rory, uh, thanks as always for the excellent contributions. My pleasure. Um, anything you'd like to plug? more patreon plugs or (laughs) (laughs) as if i could hold a candle to that patreon plug oh yeah just uh find us on social media on twitter and facebook if there's anything you think we should add or take away from these shows do let us know we listen to every single comment and please do leave a review on whatever they call itunes these days as well lovely and uh, i think that will just about do it so Thank you, dear listener, and yeah, please do check out Patreon. Please do leave a review. Please do drop a comment on Twitter or Facebook, and we will listen to any and all feedback and constructive criticism, if there is some that exists. Um, I have been Chris White. Thank you very much for listening, and until next time, goodbye. (laughs) 